Hello, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. It is episode 62. Let's just admit it, we're all addicts. Yeah, it's about time, guys. Yeah. We got to just talk about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome. I was reading our guest book this last week, and I kept saying to myself, eh, boy which is like the international sign for I'm feeling convicted. And so buckle your seatbelts, guys, because this one might hurt a little bit, but hopefully it will also be healed uh, because we were talking about a great book, Healing the Scars of Addiction. Uh, but first, my name is Lori Krieg, and I'm here with licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. And radio voice and the most professional radio voice. This is like my new intro for you because you are the most professional among us. Uh, the most professional radio voice and a producer extraordinaire, mm. producer Steve. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. I don't know what we're going to do. If you ever interview a radio person, then we're yeah. going to be in trouble. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, it is your professional job. Yeah. Okay. But we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we have our special guest, as I mentioned, the one who wrote this beautiful book and convicted my heart, uh, is Dr. Gregory Jantz, and he is a member of the White House Roundtable on Opioid Abuse, popular speaker and award-winning author of many books, including the bestseller Healing the Scars of Emotional Abuse. He is also the founder of the Center, A Place for Hope in Washington State. And we're going to be talking about his book, his latest one, which is Healing the Scars of Addiction. So welcome, Dr. Jantz. Good to be with you. Such an important topic and probably a misunderstood topic. Yeah, I am guessing that that is true and I can't wait to learn more. Dr. Jantz, your publicist sent me this book and a stack of books that I might be interested in. And this was one I was immediately drawn to. We talk here often about like gospel addicts. We, we have these bracelets that you can purchase on our website and you can just wear. And we talk about how our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you. And so we're like, man, we, we sense this internal longing inside of us for something to satisfy. And the only safe place is the gospel. So I'm hoping to kind of unpack that some as we actually look at other things we get addicted to. But like I mentioned, I started reading this book and it hurt more than I wanted to. And I didn't think I was addicted to as many things outside of the gospel as I, I really thought I was. Um, but before we really dive deeply into that, let's take a step back and talk about the question of the week, which we had a little debate going on both in studio and on the Facebook. Answering the question, if you could be a real life character in a Christmas movie, which would you be? What character would you be? Like, if you had to actually live it out maybe once, like you're not stuck in this movie forever, like Groundhog Day. But which movie would you choose and which character would you choose? So, Dr. Janice, we'll put you in the hot seat real quick. Uh, which character would you pick from a Christmas movie? From a Christmas movie? Uh, I like the Christmas story. Oh, uh, yeah. I like the guy that came around and, and saw the true meaning. Oh, so which Christmas, is it like the a Christmas story or which one? Like, are you talking about A Christmas yeah. Carol or what? You, which mo what movie? Oh, yeah. It's the old black and white classic that we've watched so many times. Yes. It's a name? Wonderful Life, right? Oh, no? is it? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Are you thinking of It's a yeah. Wonderful Life? And then would you want to be Jimmy Stewart, like the, the, the main character from that yep, one? Yep, yep, I would. Yep. Yeah. Well, you stole it right from me, man, because that's the one that I would like to be as well is really just any character from that movie. But Jimmy's yeah. just, you know, he's so happy and he discovers he's happy at the end. He's got I, some major depressive yes. issues in the middle love there. The, love the joy. 
Yeah, so I agree right with you. And actually, one of our listeners, Les, which we've mentioned, we've picked some of Les's like comments several times, mm-hmm. but she said that too. And so thank you. I agree with you. Jimmy Stewart, I think, is the winner. And Les, Steve and Matt want to debate about Die Hard <laughs> and whether or not it is an official Christmas movie. Guys, Die Hard? Well, I mean, okay, so Die Hard isn't really anything about Christmas other than... Um, love. So, you know, Bruce Willis, I'm trying to think of the name of his character, Bruce Willis. He's just Bruce. John McClane. John McClane. Thank you. He's trying to win back the love of his wife and be the hero for her. At Christmas time. Yes. Sort of like how, you know, Jesus, uh, wanted (laughs) to win our love back (laughs) as we had turned away from him. Uh, I, don't I mean, know. the name Die Hard implies more of an Easter connotation, I think. But <laughs> just, because, just because, just because, <laughs> just because Die Hard takes place at Christmas time, I don't think it makes it a, an actual Christmas movie. Well, I mean, I was like right in the Target demo when that movie came out. I think I was like er, college, so that maybe just gives 20, you like... 19 or twenty. And I remember, I think it came out at Christmas time, and it has like. In the score of the movie, it does have some like Christmassy themes, but also he's just he's just a tough action hero. I, I like much, John McClane. Much like mm. Joseph never gives up That's on right. Mary and yes. finding her a place to birth. And he probably didn't have shoes on when he was I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's wrap this okay. part up, guys. Okay. Who do you who would you pick? And like for serious? Yeah, for serious. I'm Probably with Greg, I would go Jimmy, uh, you know, George Bailey. Yeah, yeah. George Bailey, George Jimmy Stewart, Bailey. and yep. It's a Wonderful Life. Yep. All right. we're gonna, Matt, you going to do it all? Yeah, no, I, I think I would probably go with Home Alone. Um, oh. I would like to be, in my younger days, I would want to be Kevin McAllister, but now I'm also like, I really want to just be the old guy with the shovel that everyone thinks is scary. Yeah. <laughs> And in what? the end, saves the kid because uh, right. he, you know, he hits the guy in the back of the head with his snow shovel. You want to be the scary guy. Shovel the, the, the misunderstood, mm-hmm. kind-hearted yes. old man. All right. Even Turns though I'm not out. quite an old man yet. Yep. Turns out to be the hero. Okay, guys. And the vehicle we are taking is a glacier, but Matt... Excuse me. Is the glacier the one that moves or is that? Very slowly, yes. Okay, that one actually does move. I just knew if I got it wrong between an iceberg and a well, glacier. Well, I think they both move. Oh. I mean, an iceberg's floating in water, so right. it's definitely going to be moving. Wow. All right. My blonde hair just seeping right into my brain right today. Okay, well, we're going to take a glacier, and I'm going to say it loud and proud. The game that we're playing today, is this a top toy or a misfit toy? And so we're going to do round robin style. And Dr. Jansen, and then I'm going to move it around the room. Uh, I'm going to tell you two different toys. And you can tell me, is this a top toy of 2018? Or is this one that a consumer group put at the bottom of their list because it is just too dangerous? Or is there something wrong with it? All right. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So the Hess 2018 toy truck RV with ATV and motorbike. It is 74 bucks, and there are three vehicles included, an RV, ATV, and motorbike, and there's 73 steady-mode lights, and there's an illuminated interior. I mean, so what do you think? And so that's either a top toy or a misfit. Here's the second one. One of them is a top toy. One of them is a misfit. Oh, okay. 
There okay, go. there. The, there's the clarity. So here's the second one. Is this a top toy or misfit? The Nerf Vortex VTX Praxis Blaster Exclusive. It's $49.94 and includes blaster, 10 disc clips, and continuous action projectile launcher, and it's easy loading. So which one is the top toy? Is it the toy truck with the RV and the ATV and the motorbike, or is it the Nerf Vortex Praxis Blaster Exclusive? And give me the RV and the truck, man. That's the one. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. a guy that's got all the toys. That's it. The other one sounds like a dud. It's going to break. Ding, ding, ding. You get a point. Uh, this watch group says the launch force of the discs on the Praxis Blaster presents the potential for eye and facial injuries. Oh, so, there you go. Winner. Top toy. <laughs> Top toy in my book. <laughs> all right, Matt, we're bringing it to you. Here's right. your two options. One's a top, one's a misfit. Walkie-talkies for kids with a two-mile range, built-in flashlight. It's $25.99. There's three channels in a two-mile range. The talks, it boasts really great quality. The second one is the Kiddo Magnetic Cutting Fruit Playset. 23 just 23 straight-up dollars. Take an apple, pear, and orange out of the shopping bag and cut them up to share with your friends. When you're done, fit them back together like a puzzle. Okay. Which one's the top toy and which one's the misfit? <laughs> I'm guessing the the misfit is the 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 cut up fruit one because probably the magnets come out and you can swallow them or something. Uh, but I mean, yeah, and in a walkie talkie just sounds more interesting anyway. Hmm. Yeah, ding ding ding! You are right for the wrong reason. The magnetic <laughs> apple, pear, and orange are sold with a quote unquote slicing knife. You can hear their like scowl face, <laughs> made of hard plastic. The knife can potentially cause puncture wounds and other blunt trauma injuries. Whoa. Also, it was an Amazon Choice one. So pretty much all the ones that this watch group is saying is terrible. Amazon Choice is like, buy this one. So I don't know about oh. that Amazon. All right, here we go. Okay. We're going to try it with you, Steve, yep, and yep. then we're going to circle into the heart of the matter. Okay. Paw Patrol Advent Calendar with 24 collectible plastic figures. So make your child... <laughs> Paw Patrol Advent. I mean, mm -hmm. nothing like a good puppy to oh, talk about Jesus. Sure. Uh, make your child's holiday special with the Paw Patrol Advent Calendar. There's 24 surprise gifts every day. Second one, the Marvel Black Panther Slash Claw. Huh. <laughs> so the first one, by the way, is $24.99. This one is $4.97. Inspired by the Black Panther movie, it has an extendable, retractable claw. They can pretend to be Black Panther ages five and up. Okay. I'll just go on Amazon Choice. No, no, no. Here, it, oh, yeah, sorry. Amazon Choice, seriously. Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah, it totally is. It's an add-on item, actually. Oh, all right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, I'm going to probably say that uh, the Black Panther claw is the misfit. Yeah, because yeah. you slash with the what's the name of it? The slasher claw that doesn't yeah. sound Black healthy. Panther slash claw. Yeah, these rigid plastic claws, based on a popular comic book and movie character, are sold to five year olds. <laughs> you hear the haughty, disgusted, oh, sure. yeah, <laughs> with uh, their perspective to slash quote unquote like the Black Panther while simultaneously advising not to hit or swing at people. <laughs> mm. All right, yeah, <laughs> but but which one is more dangerous to your soul? I mean the the Paw Patrol Advent Calendar. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm gonna be. Well, are are you saying that the problem with that is that it's? it's I don't know. I'm just imagining they're directing people's attentions to Paw Patrol rather than Jesus. Oh, so I the way I thought it was that it's a way to teach your pets about the Advent. Why oh, not? there you go. It's for there the dogs. Go. Everybody needs Jesus. <laughs> but all dogs go to heaven. Oh, that's... do they? 
<laughs> according that, to the movie. That movie is a straight up fever dream for real. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for playing our top toy or misfit. We're now going to get to the heart of the matter. Now, Dr. Jantz, thanks for rolling with us on that. We are so excited to dive into your expertise. And the reason that we do this podcast, besides getting a couple of laughs, is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. And so if the gospel is, I'm more sinful than I believe, and I'm more loved than I can imagine, or as we say here, all fall short, all are loved, how and when was the gospel first good news for you, and how is it still today? Well... It was good news for me. It was really at a, a senior in high school that I gave my life to Christ in a real practical fashion and made that decision. Hmm. And the good news for me is that changed the whole direction of my life and probably sent me in the direction of um, that I am today and as counseling and doing this work now. Good grief. It's been 35 years wow. and I'm, I'm still still passionate about the work that we do. So for me... Um, it was really a decision that I'm going to allow God to be real in my life. Hmm. And so, you know, and through everything that life brings us and all the challenges and, and um, you know, as time goes along, you you realize just how not only important that is, but how true that is. Hmm. Um, and so growing deeper these days. Yeah. That's my favorite is when people perhaps are 35 years into their career and they just never stop seeking Jesus and they never stop growing. It is, it's so hopeful for someone yeah. like me who, I mean, I'm not just a whippersnapper anymore, but just I'm like, oh, I feel like I could feel like such a failure at times. And so to see people like yourself still growing, just it's super inspiring. So, Dr. Yeah. Jantz, why this book and why is your approach different from others? I mean, there's a lot of books on addiction, but why did you feel like this is one that needs to be written and, and what is different about your approach? You know, we've been seeing now, well, for 35 years, I founded the center, a place of hope, and we're a whole person facility. So we look at things a little bit differently in that we understand that uh, we've got to look at what's going on spiritually, what's going on in a person's biochemistry and and so forth. Well, we found that the majority of folks coming to us and we're, we're known for our work with depression and anxiety had uh, probably what we'll call a hidden addiction mm. and uh, multiple hidden addictions could be uh, alcohol, could be food. And uh, we've just always been able to dig a little deeper to, you know, what's causing that addiction. And sometimes, you know, a person may be depressed. We go to our physician, doc, I'm depressed. And, and you're given a, a, a pill, um, but maybe we've never really got to the, the source or the mm -hmm. Uh, really the core of that depression. Hmm. So um, that could be, and it yeah. could be a secret addiction in one's life. Hmm. So to dive in, as, as we're throwing around this word addiction, what is addiction? What's that mean? Like, how would we define that? An addiction is um, obviously something that it's a behavior that we're doing oftentimes to mood elevate. I want to feel differently than I am. And uh, temporarily, I like how this addiction makes me feel. It could be gambling, could be alcohol, could be any kind of a substance abuse. But I'm altering my mood. And I learn to use an addiction at times to avoid 
dealing with things that are unpleasant. I use an addiction as an excuse to celebrate things. So it's an escapism behavior that ultimately has some really self-destructive consequences, mm-hmm. uh, financially, relationships, my health, but I continue it. And that's that's an addiction. I continue despite uh, the destruction, despite the downside. Uh, and I tell myself usually, uh, you know, I'm going to stop. I won't do this again. I'm, I'm done binging on this food. I won't do this. And the next weekend rolls around and I do the same thing. How how do we know if we are addicted to something like so I hear what you're saying and I hear like you're feeling perhaps someone who might come to you. They, they sense a disturbance in the force to borrow from Star Wars, but yeah. they're just like, OK, something is is not right here. So how, how do we how do we know if we're addicted? Well, and you know you're addicted if you continue to engage in the behavior when you have that conversation with yourself that says, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And we play games. You know, one of the game we play is the game of of denial. There's hmm. a game of denial that goes on that says, that's eh, no big deal, or this pornography is no big deal. Um, I'm not hurting anybody. And, hmm. and we, we perpetuate the secret. Yeah, okay. So those are some of the signs that we may see in ourselves. And I noticed in your book, you, you split apart what therapists might notice and to be able to name as addiction, because we aren't always able to see it and name it. And like, I'm even thinking of my husband, Matt, who's sitting here, like when he came forward with his daily pornography addiction and you, you couldn't name it early on. So Dr. Jans, what, what's the difference between what perhaps an outsider might see looking in at someone who is addicted to something and versus what they themselves may see when they're looking inside of themselves in their inner world? Well, the person on the outside is going to see um, somebody that they're probably really frustrated with. They don't get it. They're going to see somebody that they maybe feel a disconnection. You see, an, an addiction robs us of intimacy. An addiction takes away from our relationships. An addiction is a, a toxic secret. So we may feel a lot of frustrations. And one of the frustrations we may feel, let's say it's alcohol. Mm. Uh, you go, why doesn't he, why doesn't he just quit? Doesn't yeah. he get what it's doing? Why don't you just quit? So we don't understand at times, the power of the addiction. Yeah. And so uh, the person living with it, of course, they're going to, they're going to, I don't know what else to do. This is what I know to do. And, and I can go for so long and then I go back to the behavior. Hmm. So it's that pattern. And at times it's a pattern of shame. Hmm. It's that pattern that uh, we keep recycling and and we wonder what is wrong with me? Hmm. How could God love me? How could anybody love me? Yeah, and I, I really, I really like. I guess the way that you talk about it is something that has just a negative, a negative effect on life that we protect. That I think you said we protect the secret, or we, um, you know, perpetuate the secret, um, because a lot of times people will will not be able to say like I am addicted unless they've they've hit this point where it's like uncontrolled where it's like alcohol, yes. like where, oh, I, yes. I used to drink four drinks a night and now I don't get that same buzz until I drink 12, you know? So this habituation and then like yes. extension, like it grows. And, but you can still be addicted to something even before that habituation happens, even if it is, I guess, more clinically labeled just a strong compulsion because it, it's, yeah. it's something that still can have those highly negative consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, well said, thank you. So if someone, I just need to jump in here because I'm sure there's someone listening who is 
uh, a friend of someone who to them is clearly addicted. And again, as we dive into each of these different areas, I think we're all going to start pointing the fingers back at our own hearts. Uh, But is it helpful to just like say the sentences like you are an addict, you need help? Like what what can the helper or friend or counterpart like what can they do? Because I've found that those sort of sentences aren't extremely helpful Mm -hmm. or are they? Well, one of the things that happens is uh, we grow so frustrated, we may say some things that are not helpful, or maybe we later regret. Mm. Um, but we need to stand up and we need to speak to the addiction. And mm. I believe it's okay to say, you know, hey, what, what's been going on isn't okay. Mm. Um, I am going to work with you to get you the help that you need. And so that's kind of a, well, we'll call that a soft intervention. Um, there's times, and we've heard of the classic intervention where the family members, you know, get together and then we do a, a surprise on the person we're intervening on. And there's times where we need to look at this is life and death. Mm-hmm. This truly is yeah. uh, life and death. Mm-hmm. And we need to see it that way. Because if anything, we see people who later we regret, they absolutely regret uh, that they didn't get help or get help sooner or didn't speak up sooner. Mm. That's helpful. And I love the tone with which you are really modeling for us how to say these things. Like just, hey, this is a life or death. It's not, hey, you're going to kill yourself. Or, you know, that's not. No one's going to receive that sort of tone. So thank you for that modeling. Well, Mm -hmm. let's dive into uh, some of the, we're going to start with the category of substances, which these may be some that when we think of addiction, we're like, oh yeah, yep, okay, substances. And, but I think it was just interesting, again, in the the gentle, clear way that you lay out some of these that just made me think, and okay, how am I using some of these substances, such as the first one, which is alcohol. And I've actually heard, like, I think Gen Z is like binge drinking way less than like the older generations and, um... Even a lot of my friends, they're like waking up to like, this is not healthy, just drinking at all. And so that's kind of, it's. Inter- I don't want to call it trendy, but I'm seeing more and more people waking up to some of those issues. But uh, Dr. Jance, you had listed in there the CAGE, C-A-G-E questionnaire. And uh, what is that? And how many yeses to those questions do we need to say to like mm-hmm. alert us to a problem? Well, you know, this is kind of a classic old questionnaire that, it is um, about uh, really identifying addiction, and and it's good, and it's not original with me. But um, I think there's something. If I just add, there's a a truthful and it takes it takes one yes really. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a truthful conversation of looking in the mirror, and and saying to myself, if I keep doing this, what is going to happen to me? And what is going to happen to those that I love? Mm-hmm. You see, an, an addiction blinds us. And, you know, we can do the questionnaires, and there's several questionnaires in the book, and they're, they're fine and good. But um, it's really having that honest conversation with yourself because most people know, I mean, all people know, let me clarify, they know they have a problem. Hmm. It's getting out of that uh, thinking about it. It's getting out of that um, self-denial, if you will. Hmm. So, you know, and if I told my, you know, one of the things I need to ask, am, have I told myself um, that I will stop this? Have I told myself uh, that 
Um, I need to cut down. Have I told myself, you know, that people, you know, the A is people are annoyed by this or annoyed by uh, my drinking, uh, you know, cage, uh, the CG, as, do I feel guilty? Hmm. Um, uh, you know, hmm. is there shame? Is so guilt and shame? Uh, so, you know, uh, the final question is, is kind of interesting, or the E is is the eye-opener. Hmm. And that's the, um, you know, do I have to have a drink in the morning, you know, to help treat a hangover? Do I have to have a drink uh, to get me going through the day? Hmm. Because we treat addictions, it's not uncommon for a person to tell us, you know, um, I, I had had a drink to get enough courage to come here. I had a drink to get to get on the airplane to fly to see you. Mm. Um, so that's that's what that's that game we play mm. uh, with addiction. Mm. Now you are on the the president's council. You're a member of the opioid conversation, and um, that's like a big epidemic that's happening in our country. We're not going to deep dive into that right now because I really I I, I it's so important. We need to do that, but I do want to. I just want to make sure everyone's convicted that listens to this podcast. But I guess I would ask you yeah. just with that, with the opioid conversation and the whole addiction that's just ravaging a lot of people, do is there any answer to the question why? Like why now? Do you, would you guess like that it's becoming such a problem? Well, I think it's been a buildup. I think um, you know ultimately. Um, uh, when I was at a, a White House meeting with the Faith Advisory Group, is what it was, we had a guest share from the White House, and basically they said, "Where did this start?" Mm. And it really started with initially the physician's pen. Mm. <laughs> In other words, it started with the prescription. Nobody started off to become an opiate addicted person. Mm. Um, it it started off for most pain. Mm-hmm. There was real pain. I was in need. And uh, and we know that for some, it was highly addictive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the opiate deaths, what, what are we, over 100, 100 and some a day? Mm. Uh, it's, mm. was it last reading, 134, 132 deaths a day? Mm. Those are incredible numbers to think about that people are dying from taking a pain pill. Yeah. Mm. So just what you're alluding to is just this genuine pain and then this need and then it just perpetuates and... You know, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about this and you allude to this in your book, like just that essentially the hole in your heart, like just that we all have this genuine pain. And sometimes it is very physical and sometimes it is very emotional. And being alive in 2018, it's just hard. It's hard to be a person. And so whether or not it began physically and then just moved to just this genuine addiction, uh, it. I don't know. I just I have compassion in just hearing that because I'm like, you know what? There's so many times that we all want to escape and we use many of these things, mm-hmm. which one of them being just still staying in the track of substances is food. Speaking of sure. Matt and I just leaving, yep. eating some big burgers. Um, <laughs> but how and why can food be so addictive? Well, food is it represents pleasure. Food. We may have grew grew when we grew up. We scraped our knee and we got an ice cream cone (laughs) or whatever right you know we just we kind of learned to associate food with it sometimes love Hmm. or food and comfort right so as an adult maybe i emotionally get beat up at work and then i go home and i eat that half gallon of ice cream yeah ice cream is what i learned to do long ago right Hmm. 
Um, I wrote down a quote that you said from the book. You've said, I've found people who eat to relieve stress and for comfort, who use physical fullness to compensate for emotional voids, who use food as a reward and sometimes as the one thing they feel they have control over. Food is perhaps the most readily available and socially acceptable mood-altering substance that there is. Can you speak a little bit to that control over? Because I know there's control can actually be also a fruit of um, eating disorders, like not even just binge eating, like overeating, but just like stopping eating. Can you speak into that a little bit, the relationship between control and then just, I guess, even eating disorders? Yeah, it's all about control. It's about what's controlling us. Sometimes we feel like, okay, no, I'm controlling this. I'm self-starving and I'm, you know, I'm controlling the food. I have power over this, but really it has power over us. Hmm. In our early work with eating disorders years ago when we designed really a whole person approach to treating eating disorders, and began working with folks with eating disorders literally um, all over the country and and uh, foreign as well who would come in for help with an eating disorder at, because they lost control of it. It hmm. controlled them. Hmm. And that's now we're back to talking about an addiction. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's an addiction. It's controlling us. It's subtle, it's sneaky, it's never what we intended to have happen, but that's what happens. Interesting. So addictive behaviors, and these perhaps come to mind also pretty quickly, but work. This was interesting in how you talked about obtaining the prize at the end of the day. So we work really hard and at the end yes. you kind of feel this euphoric sense of I did it. Um but you also offer us some questions to ask ourselves to figure out, like, am I addicted to work? Because we're like overworking is smiled at, you know, that's like you get a raise, you a get badge of honor. a badge of honor. You're oh, I'm so stressed. So busy. Sure. How do you know if it's like overworking and an, an addictive behavior? Well, overworking and really what we're saying there. um, there's seasons where maybe we all have to do put in some extra work. I mm-hmm. get that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, if we have a pattern, I'm using work to escape relationships, uh, or I'm using work because it's my sole source of telling me how good I feel about myself. Mm. So it could be that. Yeah. Um, so really, if I'm getting all my identity through work, then then I have a problem. Which really, you have to almost be not busy with work to even self-reflect on, is this my whole identity? Like, I think perhaps something difficult would have to happen at work where you all of a sudden wake up to the reality that, oh, why do I feel so, so crushed about X thing that happened at work? And it's because your identity was there. What about relationships? How can you tell if you're addicted to a relationship? Well, a relationship addiction is um, we, we hear the word, of course, codependency. But a relationship addict is somebody that's could be cycling from relationship to relationship. Um, their only identity is if I'm in a relationship mm. or I'm always in a crisis in a relationship. Mm. Uh, that certainly is a big one. We also know that um, having a uh, relationship that I... Uh, are ignoring all my my own needs, my need for sleep, my need for proper self care, my need for spiritual growth, my relationship with God. If I'm if I'm ignoring these things at the expense of over serving and over giving, I've really distorted what a healthy relationship is. Hmm. I noticed that you said this could happen not only like because we can often think of like romantic or 
you know, friendships, but it could be parents or siblings or child, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a sexual relationship. And Correct. What I appreciate, again, yeah. about your book is you have all these reflective questions, and one there that stood out yeah. to me was, are you fearful of being alone? So if you are, that may say essentially that there could be an addiction or another word we could say is like an idol there. <laughs> like this is. An yeah, idol. absolutely. And you know, this, and, and this is not about telling a person, um, you know, that you're defective and something's wrong with you. Mm. This is all subtle and sneaky and that's how addictions work. It's totally. like, okay. And I just want to say, you know, for somebody struggling, there's the grace Yes. and there's the grace of, I need help. You know, we had uh, somebody who uh, went through our program, uh, you know, months and months ago and called up and said, you know what, I, I, I'm not doing well. Hmm. I've relapsed uh, and I need help. Hmm. You know, relapse handled properly is all about recovery because we're learning from it. Yeah. And so don't let that stop you from really getting the help and healing uh, because we tell ourselves a lot of lies like I'm once an addict I'm always going to struggle with this it's always who I am hmm. and I we've got to be careful we got to be humble but um, to just walk around and say you know I'm an addict and I'm ruined because of it that's not the identity that I want you to take mm-hmm. amen mm-hmm. preach All right. So still under the category of addictive behaviors, sex, or, you know, I threw in here and I know you have it under technology too, is pornography. So it's essentially sex or sexual gratification. What are signs that you are addicted to sex? Well, it's really like any other addiction. Um, I'm going to be putting myself at risk because of the addiction. And, you know, there's there's a and we can separate these out. There's a pornography addiction. There's it could be an addiction to sexual acting out um, prostitutes, um, uh, random uh, relationships. Uh, so there can be uh, different levels and different types of this. Now, what we know is a sexual addiction, uh, like any other addiction, ends up being in a real self-destruction mode. People will oftentimes pair it with another addiction. So it, it, it's mm-hmm. interesting how many times addictions are not just standalone addictions. Right. right. So, you know, alcohol and sex addiction, those mm-hmm. oftentimes are paired. Not always, but um, we want to just be very careful to watch, am I dancing between addictions? That's interesting. Yeah, one, that, that is interesting because I, I know from my own story with, I mean, Lori mentioned earlier, my own struggles with pornography addiction. And, yes. and shortly after coming forward with that and, and being in kind of this detox mode where I got rid of all of my you know, electronic devices and everything, I realized yes. that my addiction was much deeper than that. It was, it, there was this addiction to screens. Like I was a three screen at all time person between TV, yes. iPad, computer, like, it, and with whether it was pornography or, or internet gaming or just checking sports scores constantly, it was like my life was lived, as you said, bouncing between these addictions to, to not have to be kind of left alone within myself, you know? And, and so, yeah, it's, it's something that, it's good to know that I'm not the only one that does that, I guess, or that did that. Yeah. And the deeper yeah. thing I know that you discovered, Matt, was like it was just escapism, which is tends to be the root of all of this is to escape from that pain. 
And for those listening, I know we've mentioned some of these stats before, but 15% of Christian women and 64% of Christian men admit to watching porn once per month. So you're not alone. But again, it doesn't have to be who you are and you don't have to be stuck there forever. And again, I just love what we know. What we know is nobody ends up being happy or pleased about that. Hmm. It doesn't build self-esteem. Yeah. So not nobody. It doesn't take you where you want to go. Absolutely. And again, these questions that you have that are so helpful for to like reflect on and that really put that in, oh boy, like what's going on in my heart was, do you feel a sense of shame about your need to be sexually satisfied? Is your thinking about it disrupting other parts of your day? Yeah. So just, just to be thinking just, okay, is this me? And if it is, you don't have to hate yourself, but you can move toward, okay, what can we do? I have um, just two more that we're going to be covering. And then I would just love to say, answer the question. So now what? Like, what can we do? And we're not going to be able to cover that all in this podcast. Um, But technology under that heading, we're going to look at TV and social media, which I love how you said it's an engaging way to become unengaged, which is so true. And, you know, people come home and I know that Matt, you and I used to do this before we had kids. We just get home and turn the TV on like it just was like a noise thing that just was kind of comforting. But how do you know when it's too much, Dr. Jantz? You know, that's really interesting with screens. Um, We need to ask ourselves because, you know, some folks can get kind of uh, obsessed with news and you're so immersed and go, wow, is, is my best relationship? you know, with, with a screen mm-hmm. and we need to ask that. Um, and are the things I'm watching causing us to be bonded or bring us together? Um, do we have other things that we're enjoying doing? Is this just our default? Mm-hmm. If I default to, let's just say watching TV, watching the screen, Netflix, etc., cetera, uh, am I pairing that in with something else? Am I not exercising, for example? Am I sitting there and eating most of the time I'm watching? You know, what am I doing that that maybe is not healthy? Yeah, yeah. It's just easy. So we need to look at the kind of the whole the whole picture there, yeah, so to speak. I mean, I know I've watched some Netflix and taken mm-hmm. down whole bags of chips. <laughs> like, wow, the whole thing's gone. And the emotional sure. hole in my heart is still there. And <laughs> my stomach is bigger. Okay. Yeah. Which is so true. And again, the question, because these are so great, do you turn on the TV out of habit without any desire to watch? And I'm like, yikes. Yeah, for sure. Like, you don't actually think like, oh, here's a, let's watch It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. It's like... I mean, I had a bad day. Here's the Los Chips and (laughs) Netflix. All right. And the last one that everyone's going to collectively go like, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. But it's social media. And you you say there, we're all lab rats in a giant global experience, which is just yikes. Referring to like all the tweaking done on all of these apps to make sure that we stay online more. And so just just bring it to us, Dr. Jantz. Make us feel the pain. (laughs) <laughs> well, um, too often I'm turning to social media and, think, and thinking I have relationships and they're not real relationships. Yeah. I may be turning to social media to meet relational needs, uh, to look for validation. If I post something on Instagram and in 10 minutes I don't have any likes yes. and I feel horrible about myself. Right, right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. am, I looking, am I looking towards uh, social media as a way to validate uh, that I'm okay? Mm-hmm. So that's always going to lead us to disappointment. We we also know if you if you're depressed, 
Uh, and the more time you spend uh, online, it, it doesn't help that depression. You're yeah. probably going to feel worse. Yep. All the comparison and well, yes. And you make a couple of, of notes, like just comments in there about how we're kind of Pavlov's dogs, like, and just like the whole concept of numbers popping up. And and since reading your book, I keep like hearing people be like, oh, I hate when the numbers come up. So I have to click on it and like make sure. it go away. But then like, do you have to click on it? Because like they mm-hmm. intentionally have that pop up or this whole right. concept of social media reversion. And so there's yeah. people who, myself included, like I've taken, all right, I'm gonna take breaks for X amount of time, but then they feel this compulsion. So they like say no, but then they revert to go. So they feel this compulsion to go online and make sure they can manage their digital identity, which is just so anxiety laden, but you feel this pressure, you know, even in my job, like I have to stay online, but I'm like, do I? <laughs> so right. do you see that a lot? And like, how does it affect people? Like just this high demand to, I don't, I just be out there and in social media world. It's just kind of this, I guess, fear of missing out as well. Well, there's a fear of missing out. And it's also, um, you know, if you're, if you're born in the early 1900s, you were tethered to technology. You are the I generation. Right. right. <laughs> iPhone, I this. Mm. Um, and and it, when I say tethered to technology, that's, that's all you know. Yeah. And it seems normal. Hmm. We know from brain science research that the more that I uh, overstimulate my brain, uh, particularly true of boys, I'm overstimulating my brain. I'm, I love so much screen time, game time. Uh, the earliest exposure to pornography that we're seeing now is usually around age age nine is, is pretty common. Hmm. And you begin to think about overstimulating the brain, being engaged in pornography, uh, gaming. Well, as time goes along, that that brain that you just overwired, overstimulated, uh, is craving more and more and more. Hmm. And so we can create a craving brain that, in essence, is a depressed brain. And Hmm. so we see patterns. We see 16-year-old boys who have the... Uh, pattern of uh, what appears to be sexually addictive behavior and they've been so immersed since very very young in pornography their brain is overstimulated and they're pretty depressed oh man okay so dr jance can you help us out because what what do we do from here so let's say we're listening and uh the question that you put even with social media is have you told yourself you have this need to cut down, but you're unable to do so. So whether it's social media and you're like, yes, I need to cut it down, but I just can't. It's so hard. Um, and like legit, you're like, I just, I don't know. I just feel this urgency, this compulsion and, or with any of these things that we've listed, what, what are some first and second steps we can take to get the help we need? Sure. One of the things I want to look at is, am I able to delay or postpone this impulsive behavior? Hmm. The person says, man, I, I, uh, I want to have a drink. Can you delay that? Okay. Can you, can you postpone that? And during that time, do something healthy. Can you strengthen the, the muscles uh, and have accountability uh, during that time? Can you do those kinds of things? that uh, take you farther away from the addiction, uh, the more we're able to strengthen that postponing muscle, that delayed instant gratification muscle, the stronger you're going to become. The power of the scripture and to recite, to have my scriptures that keep me uh, fortified. Um, Am I able to do those things? Mm. Now, 
maybe I'm not, and maybe I need to go. Okay, you know what? I I I need help. I need to see what are, you know, what are the resources available? Obviously, the book "Healing the Scars of Addiction" is a good place to start, but I probably need something more than just a book. So you need community, and you need, like you just mentioned, accountability, and and perhaps we need to. Um, counseling or some sort of therapy to help us step into yes. just like having some sort of army. And I know some of the studies that we've done on shame and even specifically sexual addiction in, in conversations we've had, like with Jay Stringer, or we're going to have with Kurt Thompson soon, um, is that simply telling someone can help to give you, propel you on those next steps. Have you seen that to be true? Oh, absolutely. Accountability, be in relationship, have trusted people that you can go to. And that's that's healing. That's right. So, Dr. Jantz, for um, anyone who is listening and is like, okay, I want to take a next step is like, should they just like pray? Should they reach out to someone or like if they are listening and just feeling really um, perhaps bordering on hopelessness, what would you say would be that first step? Well, get some more information, um, you know, even go to um, aplaceofhope.com. There's a questionnaire I have there on addiction. Take mm. the questionnaire, get some honest feedback mm. um, as a place to start, but do something. Mm. That's gigantic. Um, thank you so much for being a part of this this conversation and it really just feels like we barely scratched the surface and we've hit at addiction from a few different angles before and I just appreciate just your insight and your experience and uh, I guess just kind of unpacking the different types and I felt like we probably could have done an episode on each one so thanks so much Dr. Sure. Jantz for joining us today. You're welcome good to be with you. And for those of you who uh are listening. We would love for you to pick up that book, Just Healing the Scars of Addiction by Dr. Jantz. And he's got some really great insight in there. And it's just, it's, it's just stated in a way that's very clear and um, really would give you some of those next steps of information as he was mentioning. And for all of you listeners as well, our question of the week for next week, we just keep hitting this Christmas theme. We just, we aren't stopping until it's done. But what is something unique about the way you're celebrating Christmas this year? And why did you decide to change it up? So what's what's unique and like, what what's the impetus for the change? And then too, for those of you who are listeners and you want some a hole in my heart shirt, we want to send you one. So any gift of 50 bucks or more, just a one-time thing that just is such a huge help. It really just gives us a high five and says, we see you, we care about you. Um, so any, if you're already a regular donor and you want to throw on 50 bucks or more over that, that would just mean a lot. And just throw in your memo line under on PayPal or in your check, just say the size that you prefer from XS to XL. And also, if you just want to join and become a monthly supporter, same same instructions for you on the size and that you'd like this shirt, um, but you could just donate any amount. Again, it just says you come alongside us and you appreciate the materials that we're giving out and especially this podcast. And we want you to wear some swag. So thanks so much. And we will also send some links to all the Dr. Jance things. And so we'll have that on the podcast episode page. And thanks so much for listening. So for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Cat pack. Cat, cat pack. Pop cat, cat pack. Yeah. The cat pack camp. <laughs> Please always cat, say it that cat, way. Cat, yeah. Only say it like that. I got lots of free stuff on the hop, pa- hop cat, cat pack. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
I did our meal. It turned out to only be thirty dollars. Thanks got- to the hot cat cap I cap. Okay, we're gonna be late. Call him, call him, call him. We're late. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Dr. Jans, Dr. Jans. That was awesome. <clears throat> and okay, serious.